I, uh, I have a, a real love of uh, counterfeit things. Um, that doesn't mean I make counterfeit things. It means that um, I love buying stuff that looks like the real thing, but that really isn't. So um, when I went on my honeymoon, I went to Thailand. And if you go to the markets in Thailand, it's basically full of fake stuff. T-shirts, handbags. I would have loved to buy my wife a fake handbag, but she could probably tell the difference. And so, you know, it just would have been a bit of a fizzer. But it makes you feel like you're really rich at like a fraction of the cost. Um, but there's a problem with counterfeit things, isn't there? Um, you know, if you shopped at Audi and they've tried to do things that are similar to stuff at Coles and Woolworths, you start to realise that the problem with counterfeit things is they don't always perform. So I remember buying uh, paper towels from Audi, you know, to wipe the bench tops. And basically the, the Audi paper towels allowed me to wipe the water and it would just basically push it along instead of absorbing it. So I just pushed it along my counter and it was just horrible. Um, but the reality is, it's not the end of the world, right? Paper towels, few dollars, not the end of the world. So sometimes counterfeit things don't really matter to us in life. Uh, but however, when we're talking about uh, the eternal destiny of all mankind, maybe not the eternal destiny of all mankind, maybe your eternal destiny, uh, we start to wonder, maybe I should really figure out that what I'm believing in, trusting in, isn't counterfeit. Um, there are so many religions in this world. Uh, they all kind of say different things about what happens uh, to make us right before God and what happens even if there is a God, a one God, multiple gods. How do we know that we've got the, the right solution? Uh, there's some kind of criteria necessary. Like what, what, what do I kind of evaluate? What do I use to evaluate? As we look at the book of 1 John, we start to see uh, this book written by the disciple John. His main focus is to provide assurance uh, to the people that are reading the letter. It's to assure this community of believers that the message that John has spoken about is authentic. That the life he describes of the believer is true. And that as they believe in this Jesus that John talks about, they really would have eternal life. They really would have fellowship with God. If you flip to uh, chapter 5 of the book of 1 John, we read in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may have eternal life. He's trying to remind that the focus is I want to provide you confidence that what you believe in is accurate. And so in our passage this morning, his aim is the same. Verse 3, he he tells them what he has seen and heard so that they may have fellowship, not just with John, but with the Father, that they may have eternal life. You may be thinking, well, why why does he need to provide assurance or, or, or comfort? Well, what we start to see in this letter is that it's likely that a group of influential leaders have broken away from this church community. So it's likely that John wrote not just to one church, but it's kind of like the churches of the southwest of Sydney. And a group of people have got together and said, you know, we actually disagree with what you say. We don't think Jesus is exactly who you say he is. We have a different idea of what it means to be a Christian. We have a different idea of what it means to be in fellowship or relationship with God. John wants to provide comfort and assurance to show throughout the whole letter that this, this group, their claims are false. To assure them that as they, as they trust in Jesus alone, that things will be okay. And so as we look at the beginning of 1 John, this is the assurance that John is trying to provide. And so as we look at our passage, uh, the idea is simple. You ought to be confident in your relationship with God as you believe in Jesus. You ought to be confident in your relationship with God as you believe in Jesus. In these four verses, we see two things, two aspects of Jesus that give us great confidence. The first is that Jesus really was a man. He was truly human. The second was that he was truly divine, that he was godly. 
truly human and truly divine. And through these two things, John provides assurance to his readers. Uh, So why don't we look at this passage now and look at this idea that Jesus is truly human. Right from the beginning, the focus is on the real, tangible, experiential person of Jesus. Uh, But it's a bit of an abstract beginning. If you wanted to talk about who Jesus is, why didn't you just say Jesus? Uh, But we see all these verbs, to hear, to see, to observe, to touch, talk about in verse 1, right at the end, the word of life. Who's the word of life? Well, it's helpful to know that the the man that wrote uh, 1 John also wrote the Gospel of John. Listen to how he starts his Gospel. In verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, that's that's kind of helpful. It's it's the same. But look what John says in John 1 verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The Word of life is John's reference and focus to the person of Jesus. His focus is on the historical Jesus, not some mythical figure that people have kind of conjured up in their imagination. But at this point we must see that that he's not just talking about the person of Jesus, uh, but the message that Jesus came to bring. He came to deliver the good news, that as people would repent and believe in him, that they would find themselves in eternal life. See, doesn't Jesus come and his message is so much uh, connected to who he is as a person? Kindness and mercy is manifested in miraculous healings and compassionate workings of who Jesus is. The word of life that we see John attesting to is the message and person of Jesus. Not just who he is, but what he said as well. And this is what John is trying to say. Be confident, because I have first-hand experience. The message hasn't been corrupted because I have second or third-hand information but you can be confident what I say is true and accurate. Someone writes this about the passage. Jesus as the Word is God's final and definitive message. The words of the Old Testament point towards and climax in Jesus as the Word, the incarnate one of the Father. The Word, he reveals and discloses the Father, making known to us what God is like. And so we notice John is grounding his confidence in the physical historicity of Jesus. I've heard him. I've seen him. I've observed him. I've touched him. See, the focus is not on some nice kind of story, some abstract theory. He's talking about the physical person of Jesus. That's where his confidence is grounded. Uh, Speaking of counterfeit things, um, a number of years ago, I I decided that I would buy my my girlfriend, my now wife, a, a mobile phone. Um, back in the days when, uh, when smartphones didn't even exist, it was an old, old school flip phone um, and it was kind of special because it had fake diamonds on the outside. It was red, it was like, I th- actually I think it was pink. Anyway, on eBay, it was being sold in America and we looked at, on eBay, looked at all these beautiful pictures and stuff and so I laid out, you know, an amount of money that I was unhappy uh, to ultimately lose because it was a scammer. I got scammed on eBay and this was back in the day when they didn't have buyer protection. So I, I couldn't ask anyone to get my money back. Um, and so we kind of waited and wondered where, where our phone was. Oh, maybe it's the US postal system which has always gone, you know, stuffed up and, and it just never came. Uh, the, the, the phone ended up being something that stuck in abstract um, kind of thinking. It was this nice idea. It was a nice idea. But see, John is saying that Jesus is not just some nice idea. He's a real person. Christianity is not just a good story. It's not just a nice marketing campaign. 
but it rises and falls on the reality that Jesus lived. He really did heal people as a foretaste of heaven. He really did die an excruciatingly painful death. But he really did rise again. If you read the book or the letter of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, your faith, my faith is useless. I am, you are to be pitied if Jesus was not real, if he did not rise from the dead. John's confidence is not located in a nice idea, but it's located in this fact that he was a real man that we could see and taste and observe what he did. But see, so often our confidence in our relationship with God is not necessarily linked to the person of Jesus, it's linked to our life and how we feel we're going. It's in moments where we kind of enter a pattern of sinfulness in our lives or remember sinfulness in our lives that we kind of wonder, how confident can I be that Jesus really loves me? I mean, think about it. Uh, that moment when you kind of so easily kind of fall into sin and temptation and, and maybe you just get, you snap at your, your, your spouse and get really angry or, or, or you become really jealous and you start hating your brother or sister and you kind of wonder, am I really a Christian? Or maybe uh, it's a pattern of sin that you've been struggling with for so long and you, and you finally do it again. And you're like, how can I be certain that, that I have fellowship, that I have a relationship with God? Or maybe even as you think back to the past, you're plagued by shame and guilt of what you have done. So often we look at our lives to give us confidence that God really lives inside of us. We lack the confidence that we're truly Christian because we look at our lives and I don't know. John actually deals with this exact same thing in, in, in in parts of the letter to come. Uh, But can I uh, suggest to you that this morning that your your confidence should not necessarily be bound up with how you feel when when you're not doing so well, but it it should be focused and bound to who Jesus was. Imagine you're falling off a cliff or you're in the gallery and you've fallen down for some reason and you're holding onto that clock uh, or or a branch that has somehow grown from that gallery and you're holding onto it and you say, I I'm not feeling this branch. This branch is not going to save me from this fall. Well, that, that can be nice. That's how you feel about the branch or the clock. But how well is it stuck or rooted into the wall? How strong is that branch? And that's what you should be focusing on. And that's what John is trying to get us to see. Don't let your confidence as, as to how you relate to God depend on how you're feeling or how you're acting. But focus in Jesus alone. Focus in Jesus alone. Because it's in him that you can have be certain, you can be certain that you can be made right with God. But see, the reality is, it's, it's nice to see that, hey, this guy actually exists, Jesus actually exists. But uh, there are con men in the world. Uh, one of my favourite shows, White Collar, is about a con man. I love, I love high stories in con men. And Jesus could have been a con man. And he could have been real, but he could have made great promises that he couldn't back up. He could have said, oh, I forgive everyone and really had no power to do that. And so what John says, he says, well, not only is Jesus real, but he's also divine. He's the son of God. That leads us to our second point. John's concern is not just to talk about the historicity or the historical nature of Jesus, but also to affirm that he is the son of God. Look there at verse 2. John speaks about Jesus. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has now appeared to us. Uh, Jesus is no longer the word of life, just life or eternal life. 
And in this verse, John affirms that Jesus is not just a mere man, but he is the Son of God. He was with the Father and has now appeared. See, the mark of what it means to be human is essentially to be created, to follow the directions of the Creator, to come into existence at a point in time. But what does John say here? Well, he has existed beforehand. Before he came into this world, he was from the beginning. Notice there at verse 1, that was which was from the beginning. It's kind of this allusion back into Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, what John is trying to remind us here, he's trying to reinforce this idea that Jesus is not just any old human, he is the Son of God. He was at the beginning creating the world from the start. And he's now stepped into human history and taken on human form. But you notice in in verse 3, we also see John reminding us that Jesus is no ordinary man. Fellowship is with John, fellowship is with God the Father, but fellowship is with God the Son as well. John equivocates uh, God the Father and God the Son. Who would say something like that? Only if it was true. Only if it was true. Jesus is not just a man, but he's fully God as well. You might be thinking, okay, great. Um, Jesus is the Son of God. Whoop-de-doo. What, what's the, how, how is that helpful? How does that give me confidence in my relationship with God? I think knowing that Jesus is man and God at the same time deals with the dilemma that we have as we stand before God. See, we so often want to believe that God is both a loving God and a just God. He is loving to forgive, uh, to be merciful, uh, to give people eternal life. But we also want to think of God as one who is just, who will not let wrongs and evilness go unpunished, who will ultimately judge those who are wicked and rebellious in this world. Surely you must have thought of that as you see the news of the horrible things that happen in this world. If God is is really God, he's going to punish those people one day. See, we want to believe in a God like this. But see, there's a problem though, isn't there? See, we may not be those people out there who are are axe murderers or sexual predators. Uh, But Jesus says as he walks on this earth, you may not murder and you may not commit adultery. But if you're angry or if you're lustful, then you're just as wicked and as evil. See, for as you engage in in, in kind of smaller things, you do exactly what the the big things are, a rejection of God who is kind and good. We start to live lives of independence, dealing in impatience, intolerance and iniquity. How can a good God both love us and yet let our sins go unpunished? See, the answer to this problem is to look at Jesus as he dies on the cross. The love of God, the justice of God come together. See, Jesus as a true human stands in your place as a substitute. As a full, uh, being fully man, he was, he was justly qualified. He wasn't some other person that kind of switched in at the last moment. He was a man who knew the temptation of what it means to live in this world. And so in, in your place, he starts to take the judgment that was due for your wickedness on himself. But see, as the Son of God, he lived in perfect obedience. He was without sin. And so he's able to stand in our place, for he is not guilty. As the Son of God, he takes the weight of the sin of this world and he's able to endure it to its fullest extent. If you want kind of a summary of what I just said, hear this. 
the infinite pain and punishment due for an infinitely sinful act could only be borne by an infinite God. The infinite pain and punishment due for an infinitely sinful act could only be borne by an infinite God. We see a beautiful thing at the cross. Jesus takes our sin and he gives us his perfect record of righteousness. See, we no longer stand then before God shamed, stained by sinfulness. We stand in robes of whiteless, sinless perfection. We are restored to God. And so the confidence that we gain from knowing that that Jesus is not just a man that walked on this planet, but Jesus is the full Son of God, it's this assurance that God has stepped into history and done what no man could do, which is redeem us. And so we read in the book of Colossians 1, 19 to 20, For God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. The reason John spells out both the humanity and divinity of Jesus is to give us confidence that we'll be in fellowship with him. What is fellowship? It's there in verse 3. It's this idea of mutual commitment to a common purpose. Uh, If you're a fan of uh, Lord of the Rings, it's the Fellowship of the Ring, a group gathering together uh, for a specific thing. It's the idea of being part of the same club and holding the same beliefs. And and John says, if you believe in this Jesus that I I hold up to you, uh, then you will believe with me about what it means to truly know God. But see, it's not just so you get to hang out with John, but it's so that you will truly know uh, the real living God, that you will have eternal life. So in verse 3, it's not just that you have fellowship with John, but with God the Father and the Son. You are in relationship with God. No longer, as the Bible puts it, a stranger or an enemy or an alien, but you know him as a dearly loved Father. Knowing who Jesus is gives us confidence. The historical reality gives us assurance that the gospel is more than just nice abstract thinking. And the divinity or the godliness of Jesus gives us assurance that his death and resurrection are all that we need. It leads us to our last point. How do we, how do we uh, respond to what we have heard? Do you notice that the dynamic uh, that, that John talks about? Uh, there's this constant kind of talking about, I've observed, I've touched, I've heard, uh, but then he turns to, I've proclaimed, I've reported. And this has to be the dynamic of the Christian faith. You observe, you learn, you grow, but then you call to respond and to act. And so it would be horrible of us to hear what we've seen, heard this morning, and then to walk away and, and not respond. And can I encourage you to think about three ways in which you might respond this morning? Uh, the first is that you might respond by trusting in Jesus. Uh, maybe you're here this morning um, and you're just investigating Christianity. I'm so excited that people would, um, would be kind of charitable enough to come to us and, and be, be willing to hear what we have to say about who Jesus is. And in this process of learning to, be, uh, learning to know what it means to be a Christian, you, you've got lots of good questions. Uh, questions that say, how can a loving God allow suffering in this world? Um, what about science and faith? Don't they contradict each other? Uh, you wonder about the historicity, the accuracy of the Bible. Uh, uh, you, you fill in the blank. What question do you have? Uh, I think as we look at this passage, this passage reminds us that the most important question 
that we have to answer as, as we want to wrestle with who, what is Christianity about. Is, it's not all these questions, they're so important. But the most important question is, who do you say Jesus is? The Christian faith revolves around this man. And so you can have all the answers to all the other questions, but at the end of the day, you need to answer this question. Who is Jesus? Was he real? Was he more than a man? And was he the son of God? Was his offer of forgiveness authentic and real? Can I encourage you to answer these in the affirmative? I would love to sit down with you, talk more about your questions. But at the end of the day, I want you to answer this question. Can I encourage you? Scripture says, trust and believe that Christ is Lord, this man is real, is the Son of God, and that he saved you. If you can do that, you can know that you have fellowship with God, eternal life. Some of you here this morning have likely said, I do trust in God. One way in which you can then respond is then to rest. See, so often um, we can just be really uncertain about how God thinks of us. We let our guilt of our sinfulness, the shame of past sins, rob us of our confidence as we stand before God. There's this restlessness that we have in us. I did this, does God really love me? We are uncertain. Can I encourage you to, to, to respond to this message this morning by turning to Jesus and trusting and resting in him? Resting that what he has done in your place is all that you need to worry about. And so resting, what does that look like? Well, it might mean to pray that God would give you a fresh assurance that you are his child, that you are in his hand and that you're dearly loved and nothing can take you out of it. It might be to pray that you would be constantly recognising the work of the Spirit in your life, which Paul calls a mark of the inheritance of our eternal life with God. See, restlessness in our lives can often make us look busy. You know, we, we serve at church and, and we try to do our quiet times and read the Bible and, and, and pray and do all these things which are good things, but ultimately we use them as, a, as an act of penance to give us assurance and confidence that as we stand before God that we, we really are in a relationship with Him. Can I can encourage you to continue to do these things, but to find confidence not in what you do, but what Jesus has done. Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. He gives you confidence and assurance that as you trust in him, that you don't need to do anymore. We're called to trust, uh, called to rest, and ultimately I think we're called to proclaim. Uh, do you notice kind of what happens when John talks? As people see Jesus, as they, as they experience him, they talk and testify. Verse 2, we have seen it and proclaim it. Verse 3, we proclaim it what we have seen. It's this opposite inverse kind of reciprocal kind of nature. The natural progression for those who know Jesus, who are in relationship with him, is to tell others about him. Your confidence leads you uh, to mission. Conveniently, uh, that, that's part of the mission of what we do as a church. We are people who make, mature, mobilize and multiply disciples. We make, we, we tell others about Jesus. Tell others about Jesus. How can we do that? Well, a number of ways. Today, there's something you can do right today. And that is to think about one difference Jesus has made to your life. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter encourages the, the persecuted church to talk about the hope that you have as you experience suffering, as you wrestle through difficult things in your life. How is God at work? It's a great way to open up to others, to share. Everyone goes through difficult things. 
What's the difference Jesus has made to your life? That's a great way to think about starting to proclaim the Jesus that you have experienced. Another way might be to later this year participate in a Christianity Explore course. Maybe not, that's not for you, but, but it might be to think about a friend that you can bring. It might be to help organise. See, sometimes when you read the bulletin on the inside right-hand colour, it's not just me randomly writing announcements of fun. They're for you to, to read and respond to. So might you participate in one of those things? The last one is maybe you start to think today about who can I bring to church throughout this year? As I mentioned last week, we're going to have services directly oriented around getting people to wrestle with who is Jesus. A great opportunity to bring friends to. Would you even today start thinking about one person, praying just even for the opportunity to talk to them? Not even talking to them, just praying that, they, that there might be an opportunity that you might be able to ask them. The dynamic of the Christian life is not just to, to know God, to be confident about our fellowship with God and to hang out by ourselves. It is to tell the world to the ends of, this world, to the, ends of the earth the good news of, of Jesus. I'm going to pray now uh, that God would help us be people who trust, rest and ultimately proclaim. And Father God, we come uh, before you uh, this morning and we are struck not just by the fact that Jesus was a real man, but he was also the Son of God. Lord, give us confidence um, to respond to that by maybe trusting in Jesus for the first time, maybe by just uh, having the confidence to rest and not worry that, that we are somehow excluded from, from fellowship with you because we've stumbled again. But also, Lord, help us stir within our hearts this joyfulness that we may tell the world about Jesus. Lord, we can only do this uh, through your spirit that lives in us. So may he uh, work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.